Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Second Career Devs. I'm your host, Kyle Shevlin. Second Career Devs shares the stories of people who have changed their lives by changing their careers to software engineering or web development. As I like to say, it's about the road less traveled and the lessons learned along the way. This episode, I'm joined by Sam Julien, a former financial planner turned content engineer for Auth0. A well-known member of the Angular community, Sam shares his story of how he got into finance, the challenges he overcame while there, and the lessons he took with him and still uses today. Now, on with the episode. Hey, Sam. Hey, 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 my fellow beardsman. <laughs> uh, for those listening in podcast land, it's quite true. Sam and I have giant, giant, fluffy beards. Um, it's it's almost a Portland prerequisite. So, uh, But yeah, glad you're here with me today, Sam. Glad your beard is with us too. Um, I think we're going to have a good episode. What about you? Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad that we've started to become friends over the last several months or so because I'd, I'd seen your stuff online and uh, resonated a lot with it. So this is fun. Great. Yeah, I'm glad we're uh, we're getting to know each other, becoming friends too. Uh, for those who are wor- curious about that, Sam's here in Portland with me. In fact, we live in the same neighborhood, more or less. And uh, yeah, we started to get to know each other in person. But today, we're going to let the audience, we're going to let Second Career Devs, we're going to let you get to know Sam a little bit. Sam, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Tell us what you're doing now and tell us what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so... I am, my name's Sam Julien, um, and I currently work for Auth0. I'm a content engineer over there, and I've had sort of a long, winding road of getting here. Um, and my, my specialty is mostly Angular these days. I've also got a background in C Sharp, but I'm a Google developer expert for Angular and web technologies, and that's sort of my focus. But I... Uh, I've been coding professionally probably for about five years or so at this point, but it goes all the way back to when I was in college. So I had done a little bit of web design when I was young, like very young um, in middle school and high school. And so when I went to college, I originally wanted to do computer science because I really wanted to learn how to quote unquote like real code, you know, write real code. Yeah, right, uh, right. Because all yeah. I knew was HTML and CSS. Um, so I started in computer science. Right, because HTML and CSS aren't real code. Yeah, yeah that's what there, I thought. Right? That's what I thought back then <laughs> when I was 14. You know how smart 14-year-olds are. Oh, we're the best. <laughs> so smart at 14. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college for, for computer science. Uh, I didn't last long in that. It was right around signing up for differential equations that I was kind of like, why? I'm so confused. Like, why am I in Calc 2 and going to different? Like, literally all I want to do is write code. Right, right, right. So that really deterred me. And I assumed, I made a critical error for anyone listening. I assumed that because I didn't have a degree in computer science that I would never be able to be a developer or a programmer. Mm. And... That seems like a common theme, like two things in there. Like, it seems common that people who get into mathematics don't think that they can program. 
Whereas I really like to point out to people like math is a proxy for learning how to think logically. You don't actually need to be great at math to be able to think logically and, and program. And then the second one being as as many of my audience and, and myself and, and yourself out there prove time and time again, you don't need to have a computer science degree in order to work in this field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's more and more common nowadays people are starting to understand that and see that. But definitely in, you know, 2004, when I was starting college, which is depressing, that uh, <laughs> I didn't know any, but, you know, Twitter didn't even exist at that point. So I didn't know anything about web development outside of what I read in books and, and saw on basic tutorials and things like that. So anyway, I went into liberal arts. I, I ended up getting a degree in religion, which was sort of a combination of history and sociology. It really didn't have a theological bent because I went to a big public university. Um, but it was super fascinating, and I, I did a lot of research and took a lot of philosophy and logic and things like that and was planning on going into academia and teaching and nonprofit work and things like that. A life of uh, self-induced poverty, right? Yeah, basically a life of self-induced poverty. Um, and while that was appealing at the time, uh, somewhere around writing my 50-page senior thesis, I, I was talking to my advisor and she was like, isn't this great? This is what you'll be able to do like all the time. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> like, like I, I really wanted to teach, but I really had no interest in just researching and writing papers Man, you and I have such a similar story here because <laughs> I wrote a 92-page senior honors thesis for uh, my degree in philosophy, and I actually, my senior year, went from, like, I was pursuing PhD programs in philosophy to, like, dropping out of it all because, uh, not not of the program in college, but of my pursuit of the PhD because of that very thing. I was like, no, I don't want to be trapped in a classroom my entire life. It's amazing, that kind of parallel we Yeah, share. yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you ever want to chat with me about the North African Bishop Cyprian and his response to a plague... I'm your guy. Yeah, I know more about that than a lot of people out there. Um, Sounds yeah. good. But uh, but anyway, so the other thing that was going on in my life at the time was that I was engaged. Um, I got married super, super young. I'm not married anymore. But at the time, I also had this moment of feeling like, wait a second, maybe a self-induced life of poverty is not the best choice. Um, and it was also 2008. Let's, uh, let's just think about that. Um, getting, a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. getting a liberal arts degree in 2008 was not exactly a great idea, um, with the way the economy tanked. Preach. So, yeah. <laughs> so because I was getting married though, I was, I was learning a lot about personal finance because I had to, and I really got inspired by that and decided that I wanted to get into personal finance and get into financial planning. Okay. So how did that go about? Like, how did you go from just like, you know, making your own budget to um, starting to maybe pursue some work in the field? Well, I read a bunch of different books by a bunch of different people and started asking around on how to go about becoming a financial planner. Um, and it turns out there's, there's only a few paths to get there. And one of them is commission sales. That's the first path you have to take. You can't really just jump right into fee only, you know, financial planning um, straight out of, you know, like with a religion degree, <laughs> not knowing anything. 
You mean you can't get people to give you money when your degree doesn't uh, say the same thing as the thing you're trying to do? Yeah, yeah, it's tough <laughs> to get people to hand over hundreds of thousands of dollars to to a 21-year-old with a liberal arts degree. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so so I, I ended up going into sales for, for insurance and mutual funds and that kind of thing um, for, for a big insurance company. And I, I actually ended up doing that for three and a half years. Um, All right. And it was a commission sales job, 100% commission. And I learned a lot of lessons about, about talking to people and learning how to network and everything related to that from that part of the, of the job. Cause I, I'm naturally very introverted and I had to learn in order to survive, like literally in order to survive, I had to learn how to approach strangers <laughs> and, uh, conquer my fear of small talk and public speaking and learn how to build relationships in the business community in the town that I was in. And th those skills actually ended up paying off quite a bit later on down the road. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, I mean, those are all sorts of things like it sounds like you actually had to overcome. Like it's almost interesting that you went into this field and the way you pursued it was in a way that like didn't really rely on your strengths. It relied on you like overcoming a bunch of weaknesses. Is that is that kind of accurate? Yeah, it is because I what I really liked about financial planning was sort of the combination of the analytical side and the like making a plan and helping people with their goals. I really got into it for that. I really didn't understand what it took to build a book of business or a clientele or uh, anything like that when I got into it. I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it turned out that it was really difficult <laughs> and something that you have to really work at, which um, anyone who's done any amount of freelance programming or or contracting or anything like that has gotten a taste of. And those are the kind of skills that I had to develop really, really early on just to keep my lights on. That's really interesting. So you did that for uh, three and a half years. What 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 parts of like did you have any moderate success at it? I mean, you stayed around for a few years. I, at it. I did actually. Um, the first couple, of, so I learned one valuable lesson that I learned from my time in finance was that it takes about four years to get anything relatively successful because your first year you're just making every mistake possible, and then your second year you're starting to get a little bit of traction and, and learn from your mistakes. Then the third year you're, you're starting to do fairly well. And then by the fourth year, you're, you're actually like reaping a lot of rewards. And so that's sort of what happened to me. My first two years were very difficult, but then by my third year, I was starting to have success. And what ended up happening was I was contacted by a, um, for lack of a better word, a stock brokerage and recruited to their operations and customer service. And that's how I got out of the commission side and into the salaried side. And long story short, that I worked there for about a year and a half doing operations and customer service and everything. And I uh, learned a lot about financial regulations and, and things like that. And I ended up getting really burned out by it because Basically, this the the company is um, their customers are financial advisors, and so I got to see sort of this the underbelly of the financial world, and 
I had really gotten into finance because I wanted to help everyday people. Like I wanted to help average people with their financial plans. And the deeper that I got into the world of finance, the, the faster I realized that that's not really how the system is set up. It's really set up to kind of, I just sort of felt like I was helping rich people get richer and not actually on a path that was very fulfilling for me. Right. That, that had to be, um, I'm going to guess as someone who studied things like philosophy and theology, that that had to be uh, a challenging thing to see and accept because you don't really get a liberal arts degree without some degree of idealism. Yeah. Uh, if you know, some degree of thinking the world should be maybe a certain way and, and that, um, that, that righteous like indignation almost that comes about when you see uh, a somewhat, for lack of a better word, disgusting kind of system taking place. Is that kind of accurate? Uh, yeah, I was definitely a naive and idealistic guy in my early 20s. <laughs> so yeah. that, I, can re- I can relate. Yeah, I am much older and wiser now um, and have a more realistic view of the world. But But at that time, it was really difficult, right? Yeah, it was really, really difficult. Yeah, I, I was really, um, and, and it, most of the people I worked with on a daily basis were awesome. They were great people. It was more sort of the meta level and trying to look at, you know, projecting my life out the next 20 or 30 years and figuring out what I was going to do and feeling like this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. And so I felt really disillusioned at that. Gotcha. Was there, so if you're projecting yourself 20, 30 years out, is there really no way for you to like have made um, an impact doing things like helping the average person out with their finances? Or is it just a game that's really difficult to make a living at? There, there are ways. um, There are ways mostly through volunteering. There are some more progressive I, uh, financial planners in the industry that are coming up with solutions to that. And I probably, if I had stuck it out and, and worked through it, I could have been part of those movements. Um, at the time with my limited perspective, all I could see was basically either it was sort of like fulfillment or money pick, pick one, <laughs> you know, and like, uh, I couldn't really fi- figure out a way to, pay my bills while also doing something that was altruistic for lack of a better word. Right, right. That makes sense to me. And especially when you're young. So, so you're, you're, you're going through this time, you said it led to some burnout. Uh, is it, was it burnout just over like kind of this ethical debate you have going on in your mind or was it burnout for other reasons? There were other, there were other things there was. Um, so I, I was licensed, um, I had, I had been licensed for insurance and mutual funds before that. And then I ended up getting licensed to do stocks, options, bonds, um, and a whole bunch of other things. And, and so I was getting deeper into the regulations and I was actually, I had been asked by the firm to study for my brokerage license, which is called a series 24, which is, um, putting you in, in charge of some things. And, and while I thought that was really cool, as I was studying for it, I was just sort of going, all I'm doing here is just like memorizing more facts and increasing my liability for mistakes that happen at the firm. <laughs> you know, oh, so, okay. And so I, that's the other thing that started to scare me was just the fragility of the career that I was embarking on, where part of my job was to go through all the new advisors and see their um, 
regulatory history and things like that. And I would see how even just getting accused of something would totally ruin somebody's career. And I just felt like as a, I, th- I think it, around then I was like 25 and I was just thinking like, this just seems like a really high risk scenario on top of the fact that I'm not being like fulfilled by this path. That's really interesting that as a financial advisor, your very job is high risk, you know, because like we talk about things like high risk and low risk investments and stuff like that. It's just, it, there's an interesting juxtaposition there about what your position was and yet how you felt about that very position. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what, what started to make you, um, make the change, you know, you're burnt out. Like that's obviously some catalyst to things, but like, what became the game plan at that point in life? Well, I got really, really lucky because where I was working at that brokerage, that their claim to fame was that they wrote their own trading platform. That's how they put themselves on the map. So we had an in-house technical team of developers and um I guess it was mostly developers back then. There weren't many design people or anything, but they had built this trading platform that was, uh, I think at the time it was all C-sharp, but they were moving into some web development. And so they were working in JavaScript and things like that. And so I was just just friends with those guys through working there for a, a year or so and started asking them. I was like, you know, when I was young, I did a lot of, like HTML and CSS, but I never figured out how to get into the career. And they, these guys, particularly um, one, one senior developer who funnily enough now lives in Portland. um, (laughs) He, he really kind of took me under his wing and, and sent me a bunch of resources and was like, I think you should just start learning C sharp and JavaScript and, you know, I'll try to like coach you through it. And, um, and so that's what I did. I started just teaching myself through Pluralsight and, um, code Academy and code school and all of those things. And I had a little bit of background from when I was a kid, but everything was vastly different, (laughs) you know, compared to the nineties, you know, so, um, Less inline styles and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and my only experience with JavaScript up, to, uh, JavaScript up to then was, you know, copying and pasting stupid UI things um, from weird tutorials on the internet. So, uh, so I started learning through that. And um, this friend of mine, this coworker, started giving me ideas for little projects to work on and uh, eventually gave me like a, a, a nice you know, ticket system project to work on to get started. And um, that that experience of him mentoring me and and helping me with that was really, really powerful because I I felt really indebted to him. You know, I was sort of like, I if it wasn't for him and, and some of the other uh, folks on that team, like I probably would have just kind of, I don't know, you know, tried to find some things online and then burnt out and not really known what, you know, where to go or what to do. Right. It sounds like it was really important for you to have someone there to give you feedback and to like provide you with examples or things to build. Um, I often get tweets from people that are like, I'm learning, but I just don't know what to do. And I just go tell them to 
go copy things, yeah. right? Like go make a Reddit clone, go make a, a a Hacker News clone or something like just clone things till you know it. But it sounds like it was really, really impactful for you to have someone who could kind of give you those things beforehand. So you didn't get to spend too much mental thought on like, what should you do? Just focusing on how you do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that that has really shaped my viewpoint on developing and teaching, developing and mentoring other people, because I just have firsthand experience of what that's like. And that can really be the difference for someone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially because it takes so much energy to learn, um, you know, who has the extra energy to figure out what to learn sometimes. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that like getting into web development, particularly I think front end these days is already hard enough as it is. Like you have so many different things you have to learn. And uh, for a lot of people, they're kind of learning that skill set of um, problem solving for the first time. They may, not, they, they may not be used to the idea that they're not just learning a new set of facts, they're learning a new skill. And, and so that's hard enough as it is. And then if you, if you don't have any direction or accountability or anything like that, it's just that much more difficult to actually turn that into a career, you know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me that, uh, yeah, I agree 100%. Um, because even I, as I, I build lots of side projects for fun, uh, there's still things I, for, I, there's probably plenty I've forgotten about web development, you know? Like, uh, I had to look up the other day uh, the exact syntax of adding a style sheet to the head of an HTML oh, yeah. <laughs> page because I hadn't added one st- uh, like statically in vanilla HTML in so long that I had kind of forgotten. There were plugins that have, I've been using for years. So, yeah, it's a lot to learn. Um, so, did you ever do any actual like web development for that company before you left? Well, n- not exactly. So, what happened was I I had been doing some stuff with with the uh, the tech team on the side just for a hobby, but then I had actually gotten my boss's approval to spend some time during the day learning that stuff, which was really cool. Um, and my plan was to move into like a junior developer role at the company, but, um, a bunch of different things transpired with the company, people shifted around and things like that. And eventually, like when I, when I finally requested that change, the, the CEO, nixed it and said like we don't have any we, we don't have any room for like another developer and we need you to stay where you're at because I was like maintaining this whole side of the business and uh doing a bunch of different things and um and so he put the kibosh on the whole thing which in it, yeah it really sucked uh in retrospect you know like it was all for the best because that was actually the very moment that I decided that I was going to move to Portland. <laughs> okay, I was okay. like, well, okay. I mean, if I can't, you know, like if I can't do this here, I was sort of by that point, you know, I had actually ended up getting divorced and I was looking for a reason to leave Gainesville and, and start a new chapter and things like that. And so when it turned out, I couldn't, you know, switch to full-time development in Florida I was like, well, now there's really nothing holding me back. And so I should just 
try to get out and go do something else. And gotcha. Did you quit that day? I didn't quit that day. I, uh, but, <laughs> but it actually turned out to be pretty soon. It, um, my friend who had given me so much good experience, he had taught me enough to where, um, I was in a pretty good position to get a junior developer job. And so I applied to a zillion different jobs on, you know, different, I think it was Dice and Indeed and places like that. Um, and ended up getting connected to some recruiters in Portland and things like that. And, um, it actually did not take me nearly as long as I thought it would. I had had this whole plan of like, I figured it would take me like another six or eight months to find a, a job. And luckily somebody had told me not to be afraid of doing the contract, like contract to hire or things like that. Um, and so it ended up, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it was less than a couple of months, I think. And I got an offer for a place in Beaverton, like a, a just a short contract in Beaverton. And like, that was enough. I mean, uh, so I, yeah, I, it was something, it was enough to get me out there with a, with a paycheck. Um, and yeah, I'll never forget my boss's face when I told him like, I'm moving to Portland in three weeks. He was just sort of like, what, what's happening? Like, um, <laughs> he was bewildered. Yeah, he was, he was definitely bewildered. Gotcha. That's really cool. Um, for people who don't know, Beaverton is a western suburb of Portland. It's where uh, Nike headquarters is and, and things like that. So that gives you some geological, uh, geographic frame of reference, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, cool. You get out here, you do the contract thing. Uh, was that an Angular? Is that where you started to go down that path? That is where I started to go down that path. and. It, it was actually, so when I was applying to jobs in Florida, I had a friend of a friend of a friend who was a developer in New York and he, you know, chatted on the phone with me for a little bit. And he literally was just like, I was asking him for advice on things to learn and things to do. And he was like, well, there's this new thing called Angular, like you could learn that. And so I started reading about it and trying to learn about it. And, um, so it's almost just sort of happenstance of just me trying to grasp at whatever I could and make the best of it. But at the uh, job in Beaverton, I kind of pitched the idea of adding AngularJS, which is like the 1.x back in 2014 or whatever that was. I was the first to pitch that. And it's actually kind of funny. For people who aren't in the Angular community, they won't think it's, this is as funny, but I, um, at the time, it was right when Angular 2 was starting to um, appear, which was going to be a really drastically different version of Angular. And my boss at the time was actually really hesitant to listen to me. And um, I convinced him, he was debating between React and Angular. And I convinced him to go with AngularJS. And now it's my fault that they have to do all this migration <laughs> to Angular 2 Plus, which turned out to be my specialty in Angular. So it's I've come full circle and it's totally my fault that that place is in the position that it is. But but that's where <laughs> I got into Angular and AngularJS and all of that stuff. And um, yeah, it's just been a series of trying to make good decisions and, and make the best of things. 
Yeah, for sure. So you started doing Angular. Like, tell tell us a little bit about um, like your involvement with that community. Well, it's sort of p- part of that comes from pay- paying forward what I had received. So I, I had gotten into Angular JS and started asking for help from people to learn and. Um, I just found everybody to be really, really nice to me. <laughs> and I started going to the the Angular meetup in Portland. And at the time, that was like 2014. So right in the midst of, you know, the great framework wars of 2014. And yeah. so there were like 100 <laughs> people at every every possible JavaScript meetup had like 100 people because it was like there was a new framework every day. And um, but the Angular community was really, really nice to me. and and gave me a lot of help. And so I just sort of kept going with it. I think if, if they had been really rude or unwelcoming, you know, I may not be an angular developer, you know, because of that. And so you could come to the good side. You could come to the react. Side. I know I could have gone to the react side. Yeah. It is. It's just, I look back, you know, people get so wrapped up in their identity in tech whether it's like the company they work for or the framework or the language they use. And I just look back and see that it's all just been sort of making random choices at random times. And I don't, I don't really consider, you know, like, yeah, I work in angular and I've been doing it for a while and, you know, but I don't really, I don't stake a lot of value in, in what I do. You know, it's, I just try to do the best I can and be good to people and, I could have just as easily become an Ember developer or a Python developer or a Ruby developer, you know, like, um, but yeah, so, uh, fast forward, I ended up inheriting the Angular Portland group and I still run it and it's a good little group of people. It's definitely not a hundred people every month now, given that things have settled down quite a bit, but it's a, the war's the war is over. It's calmed down. People have chosen their side. Yeah. The war is basically over. I'd say, yeah, I'd say people are pretty well settled in what they want to do. And, um, yeah. And I ended up doing, doing other things in the angular community. Um, well, one of the big things that we've talked about off the, uh, off the podcast before that you do is you, you, you mentioned it very briefly, but you specialize in helping people upgrade versions of Angular, right? Right, yeah, which was also making the best of a situation. At, the, at my last job, which was a really cool nonprofit in downtown Portland, um, I sort of, I was hired as a contractor and then eventually became full-time and eventually became like the lead front-end person. And we spent most of our time refactoring things like refactoring C-sharp endpoints and refactoring um, APIs and refactoring AngularJS. And and part of that was planning out migrating from AngularJS to Angular. And for non-Angular people, AngularJS is the is the term that Google uses for version 1.x. And Angular now is just the, the term they use for anything greater than version 2, which is currently on version 7. It's really confusing and a really bad marketing and branding, but you know, it is what it is. So, but, uh, but yeah, so I ended up being responsible for figuring that path out and starting that migration process on our different applications. And, and, uh, it, at the time it, 
it was really frustrating because Google had just sort of come out and said like, Hey, we're going to like come out with this new version. It'll be easy. We promise. And it wasn't easy. It was not even close to easy. It was incredibly (laughs) complex and there were no good resources. There was no, I mean, there's a little bit of documentation that was basically like step one, switch to TypeScript, step two, switch to Webpack, step three, like, magic happens you know <laughs> like it was it was really like frustrating and and uh i just sort of like was trying to come up with things to do and talking to other people in the community and nobody really had a plan or or what to do and so i kind of was just like well you know thinking back to my days of finance and uh research in academia and things like that and was like why don't i just be the guy who does it you know like i'll just right right pour all my blood sweat and tears into figuring this stuff out and i'll come up with content and resources to save other people the pain and frustration (laughs) and suffering that that i've done and and so that's that's how that happened as well but there was no uh there was no like magic voice from the sky that was telling me like, "Hey, you should specialize in this or anything." It just was a again making making the best of a situation, you know. Right, that makes sense to me. Um, I'll add the I'll add the URL to uh, uh, Sam's uh, course on how to do it in the um, in the show notes. But uh, I'd love to like kind of work our way a little bit back to um, like you said you learned a lot from those days where you were doing commission sales that kind of help you now with your job and that you've used throughout your career. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the, what are some of those key lessons you think that you learned from those early days? Well, I would say the, the first lesson would probably be how to talk to people and network and kind of get over my, fear of those things in order to either, you know, it could be for any number of things, but at the time it was to build a clientele. Um, and I was sort of forced into that. Well, I mean, it wasn't sort of, I was forced into it because I had to eat, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Um, but I, 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 I got pretty good at it. You know, I got to be where I knew everybody in town and, um, could talk to people and that has really served me well because you end up getting most jobs through some sort of word of mouth or networking or who you know, especially people you meet at conferences or, or things like that. And so that's a skill that I try to, uh, I, I'm always happy to teach other people how, how to do that. If, if, if anybody ever needs help with that. <laughs> um, I'm always- well, what's like a, what's like a practical lesson? Like, you know, some of the, a lot of my audience is people that are trying to make a career change. What's maybe something practical they could try and do to maybe get over fear or just feel a little more comfortable about say going up to someone at a meetup and saying hi or at a conference or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can send you a link to, I ended up writing an article about, I think it was called like how to, talk to people at conferences or something like that for shy people. But one of the most practical tips is to think about being helpful to other people and introduce other people. So that can be a really easy way to overcome your own fear because you're, you're actually like most of the time, if you're at a, say you're at a conference with a whole bunch of strangers and 
you know, like, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about like, oh my gosh, like I'm so awkward. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, who are all these people? They're all staring at me. But if you can start to think about other people and not you, then it actually ends up helping you out in the, in the long run. And so if you sort of try to find someone in the room who looks just as awkward and uncomfortable as you and just like go up and say hi, and then you can, you can kind of build on that and be like, Hey, have you met Susie? You know, like she's, she's really cool. She works at this company, you know, and that like sort of build the group from there. But, um, I use that trick all the time. I mean, you've even seen me do it in person. Like, uh, I'm I'm always happy to if I know someone to introduce them to someone I don't know because it does two things. It gives me a second chance to learn and remember their name in case I forgot it. But two, it uh, you know you never know what connection you're going to make for other people, right? Like, and and that's something I really value doing. Okay, so. That's very practical. That's how we can uh, connect with other people. What are what about building that that actual network up? Like you said, you knew everyone in town. How did you go about doing that? It's actually a lot easier than you might think, and it involves simply following up with people that you meet because nobody ever follows up. <laughs> nobody ever, you know, like how many times have you met someone and they're like, oh yeah, like we should talk sometime or something like that, and like nobody does it. And so all you have to do is be a little bit better than the average person and it will open up entire worlds of opportunity. You know, if you can send a quick message to them and just say like, Hey, it was really nice to meet you. Good luck with blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, just try to touch base with people a couple times a year or can, I mean, it's easy with Twitter now because you can just like, if somebody's, you know, published something or, or had something good happen, just say congratulations or, you know, you just sort of keep in touch with people and, um, try to, I mean, overall the, the mindset is the same. It's like trying to help other people because the more you can, can help promote what other people are doing or, introduce them to people or just help them in general, it'll, it'll sort of strengthen your own network. Um, right, right. Yeah. I think there's a study out there that's like, if you have an enemy, like, uh, what is it? Ask them to do a favor for you or something <laughs> like that. It's like, it's, it's got this strange psychological effect of winning people over. Cause, uh, when people you, you get certain like you know neurotransmitters that that happen in your brain when you help others and they bond you to each other and and i think that's really fascinating and it makes sense to me like you're talking about following up with people like uh, i try and do it like if i see someone on twitter that you know luckily the algorithm didn't like take them out of my feed and i haven't talked to them in a few months i'll just send them a quick little hey hope this and this went well and hope you're doing well you know it's uh it's a really great way to build up a network and definitely something I'd recommend to people. Yeah, exactly. It's the same same kind of mindset. That makes sense to me. Now, now do you do these things, this ability to build up like clientele and and to network with others? How does that play a role in what you're doing today? You called it being a content engineer. What is that exactly? Yeah, so I in um I guess it's been about 4 or 5 months I 
joined Auth0. And I actually got, I mean, I, I got this job through ex- through this whole process that, that I've been talking about because I ended up at a conference because of a friend I had met at another conference who happened to have an extra ticket. And I, I had just released the course. And so I was reaching out to people in the Angular community and just asking them, you know, for ideas on how I could spread the word. And, and one of my friends was like, Hey, I've got an extra ticket to this conference in Atlanta. And, you know, if you can get out here, you can have it. And that was a huge, I mean, that was a game changer for me. Um, but that's where I actually ended up meeting my now boss <laughs> was at that conference. And was that NG Atlanta? Yeah, NG Atlanta. It's a phenomenal conference. Um, that just had its second year. And I, I later, so, so it's, uh, my friend is Kim Maida, who, 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 that is now my boss. Um, and she, um, it turns out that that conference was also really instrumental in her career because it's, it was her first time speaking at a conference and, uh, that led to her going all over the world, including like Israel and speaking. And so we, we met there and became friends and, um, ended up seeing each other at other Angular events and things like that. And I was doing a bunch of writing for promoting my course. And she messaged me and was like, hey, why don't you just like come do this full time for us? And I was like, wait, what? Like, is that a thing? (laughs) Like, I could just like (laughs) write technical like tutorials and teach other people and speak at conferences and stuff and do that for a living? And she was like, yeah. So essentially what I do is learn new technical things and write about them, which is really neat. And it's sort of a combination of teaching and technical journalism, I'd say. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And I think the, the skills that I learned in my career in finance um, help a lot with that because I'm not afraid to go meet people and ask them about things and, um, get their help on solving problems. And it's great because then it translates into my writing, which can then help more people. Um, Right, right. Well, uh, if I could potentially like suggest an article, if you can come up with an article connecting Auth0 and Prisma, you would fix a a problem for myself. I'm being really selfish there, but that's awesome. You get to Prisma. um, It's a GraphQL... um, I think it's. I think a good way to describe it would be GraphQL resolvers as a service. Oh. They're designed to connect. Uh, they're designed to be a, a layer between your a- API and all your databases, so oh. that you can turn any database into GraphQL databases. I might be getting that wrong. I hope Johannes and Nicholas don't get mad at me for getting their elevator pitch wrong. But uh, I've been using it lately, and it's a lot of fun. Huh. But that's a great idea. I'll have to uh, look into that. There you go, helping you. Um, see, got to help others, folks. Um, that being said, like, there's also some new changes with this job that you have that uh, I'd love to dive into for just a few minutes. Um, this is also like your. This is a remote job, right? What what what's that been like? And uh, uh, like switching to being a full time remote employee. Yeah, this is my first remote job at the at the nonprofit. We got to work remotely occasionally. You know, if we had 
snow days or, you know, furniture delivery or something we could, we could do it occasionally, but because it was such a small group and it wasn't a software company. So the developers couldn't just be like prima donnas that got to do whatever they wanted to do. <laughs> um, so this is my first remote job and it's been really awesome, but, uh, I ended up writing an article about how it's, it's surprising. Some of the, some of the things that are challenging about being remote are, have really surprised me. And, and they're especially surprising to me because I worked in commission sales. So I know what it's like to work from home. Um, but being a, a very introverted person, I, I kind of thought a remote job would be living the dream, you know, <laughs> I, I could just like not interact with anybody and, and do nothing <laughs> and, uh, other than work. And I was, I was wrong about a lot of it. I didn't realize that when I was doing commissioned insurance sales that I was like still getting out. I mean, I was out of the house most of the time. Like you can't do sales from your house. You know, you have to like be out and talking with people. And, um, and so I, I've learned really quickly that I've had to uh, plan time out of the house and around people, even as such an introvert, I've needed some social time, which is, um, has been really surprising. So I've done that through like, uh, going to a new gym that has classes instead of just sort of like working out alone. And, um, you're obviously like your, uh, semi occasional regular meetups or unofficial, or unofficial beer, meetup, yes. beer meetups have been really, really helpful. Um, and I, I do have a, a girlfriend, but we we're not, we don't yet live together, and so that changes. That'll probably change the dynamic when that happens. But um, so that's been really interesting. It's also I wasn't really surprised by this one, but I you do kind of take for granted how much structure a regular job provides you. That for some people can lead to not working enough, and for other people can lead to working too much. That when you have a you're driving to a different location and working for a certain amount of time and, and then coming home, you have a lot of natural pacing and routines that you, that you build in. Um, and then when you, when you're remote, it's sort of like all of that goes out the window and you're communicating on Slack and zoom and, um, and that kind of thing. And, um, it, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my current the, the other thing that's a little bit weird is that my I went from, you know, quote unquote real engineering, which I I is a stupid stupid <laughs> word, a uh, stupid term, but I went from a regular, you know, typical software engineering job of like C# Sharp and JavaScript and daily scrum and all that to a like really autonomous writing job, you know, where I'm I'm like I mean, I, our, our team members collaborate on some things and we, we have to do some maintenance tasks and things like that. But for the most part, I'm in charge of what I'm doing. You know, I'm writing articles and, and I have to pace myself. And that's a weird feeling to not wake up and like check the scrum board and figure out what bug I need to work on today. Like nobody's doing that. It's totally up to me to like come up with something and write something about it and make it good and so it's sort of like going not just to a remote job, but also to like a really flexible remote job. So right, right. It's uh, there's a lot to unpack and all that. That uh, that makes sense to me as someone who's worked remotely for quite some time, and that makes sense to me uh, because you know a lot of people like they get 
this they get the freedom that comes with remote but they they don't realize how to handle it you know and it, it requires building your own structure into the day um you mentioned doing like workouts i'm sure that's helped you build structure and i'm going to definitely put a link to that article as well in the show notes because i think it'll be helpful to people um and then you're totally right you know like people mistake like introversion and extroversion is more about energy than about you know, and where you get it from, then it is about whether or not you need to be social. We're human beings. We all need to be social to some degree uh, because we're social creatures. So that makes sense to me too. And I think that's all really good advice for the audience. And and kind of speaking of advice for the audience, like I like to, like, as I'm coming to like a close on the episodes, I love to ask my guest, like, what ideas and advice do you have for people that are trying to make career changes who are maybe in a situation that was similar to yours, hopefully maybe not some of the same circumstances, but you know, maybe who knows uh, what advice do you have for people trying to change their careers? Well, I would say first, don't be afraid to ask for help from people. You know, you, nobody does anything great alone. That's just a fact. We, we kind of live in a culture that, wants us to believe that you can be a individual superhero that can do everything, but it's really not true. Everybody, even the people who claim that they've accomplished something by themselves are probably lying because someone down the road, you know, even if it was their own mother, somebody (laughs) believed in them and helped them, you know? And so you, I would really hope that people could reach out and ask for help. Um, from other people who are already um, maybe one level above them. That's, I think that's a good way to do it is to look for people who are kind of one step ahead of you. Cause if you, if you try to ask people who are, who are way far ahead of you, one, they may not, they may be too busy. They may not respond Two, they may have forgotten what it's like to be where you're at. And so they, they may not give you very good advice. Uh, but if somebody's maybe one or two steps ahead of you um, they might be able to give you really good advice and they'll be a lot more empathetic to what you're going through. And if, I mean, you're inevitably going to get some jerks and that sucks. Um, but just keep going, you know, and keep asking for help because there's, there's really only so much like self study and self promotion you can do, but somebody else might be able to open a door that you never would have had access to. Right. That's really good uh, advice. You know, um, and I think that's still advice even later in your career. You just change who you're asking help for and for what, you know, um, as you get better at web development and specifically like you brought it up earlier, when you get better at problem solving, you might have less questions around like, how do I complete this task? But, you know, I ask people all the time for advice on things like, like, like maybe career growth or even personal growth. So I think it's totally good advice. Uh, that you said that was your first. Is there anything else? Well, the other, the only other one I would say is, and you'll um, resonate with this a lot, given our commonality with with career, previous careers. But for a lot of people, when they go from a, a one career to development, they have to learn to not be afraid to ask for what they're worth for compensation. Because it can be, it can, there can be a lot of sticker shock. I mean, my first development job was like two thirds more than I was making in finance, you know, like, and so I didn't understand that. And I, you know, so I think 
for people coming from fields that are not very well paid that it's important to kind of like get used to that and not get shortchanged just by virtue of like your previous experience. And I don't exactly know how to teach people how to do that because it's so hard for people are so weird about talking about money and salaries and things like that. But um, I think it's important because you could get taken advantage of really easily when you're coming from a career that is not, you know, flowing with money like tech is. <laughs> right. And definitely true. Um, yeah, that's really great advice, I think, because it's definitely going to be surprising. If, you know, um, I'm going to quote some people here uh, Jameson Dance and Dave Smith of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast often refer to a game that they play sometimes with people called the salary game where they uh, two people will agree to share their salary, but they both have to say it and they can't get mad about it. And uh, I, I bring that up because like really the best way to get some information, especially before you start hunting and look for your first job is you need to get some insider information on that regard. So uh, hopefully through your network and your friendships, maybe you can find a few people who will be open and honest with you. But I agree. Um, the taboos we have around talking about money are, are more harmful than they are good. So uh, hopefully we can break those down a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That that was that sort of related to one experience that I had through finance was that I I met with probably hundreds of different people and families and learned about their finances. And there's always a consistent lesson of like, things are not always as they seem, you know, it, there's people pretend like they have a lot that are strapped for cash and people who appear like they don't live very well might have a lot of money saved. So you kind of have to take all of that with a grain of salt and not beat yourself up too much for feeling like you're not where you are supposed to be. I think that that right there is also really great for just making a career change and especially like and it's advice I have to tell myself all the time. Me like, too. <laughs> don't 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 beat yourself up because you're not where you think you're supposed to be, you know? Uh so people of the second career dev audience, don't beat yourself up. Sam, it's been so great having you today. I'm really glad you were able to come on the show and and share your story and some lessons with the audience. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it, Kyle, and I hope to see you soon. And thank you for listening to another episode of Second Career Devs. If you liked the episode, consider sharing it with your friends, writing a review, or both. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Second Career Devs is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. If you're not already doing so, follow Second Career Devs on Twitter at Second Career Devs. That's 2ND Career Devs. Twitter told me Second Career Devs was too long of a handle, so I had to break branding and go with the number first. That's 2ND Career Devs. I tweet when new episodes are out and about upcoming projects for Second Career Devs. Get involved in the conversation happening over there. If you're interested in being a guest on the show and think you have a great career change story to share, please send me an email at secondcareerdevs at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your story and see if you might be a good fit for the show. Lastly, Second Career Devs is looking for people and businesses interested in sponsoring episodes. At the moment, sponsorship enables Second Career Devs to get transcripts made for each episode and will enable more exciting things in the future. Send me an email at secondcareerdevs at gmail.com if you're interested. 
Once again, thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.